Hi, welcome to Feedback, the show where I talk to creative people about the interesting things they do. I'm your host, Luke Humphlett, and in today's episode, I'll be talking with Alex Tung, a programmer, musician, and writer living in Gainesville, Florida. Alex, um, welcome to the show. I'm uh, really excited to have you here. It's great to be here. Is this your uh, first podcast? Uh, no, I've actually uh, been a part of a movie review podcast that wasn't okay. very good. And uh, I'm in the process of writing an alternate, alternate history podcast. With oh, really? That's yeah. cool. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't promise you this podcast will be better than said uh, movie review podcast, but I can promise you it'll be slightly different. Um, but just, you know, there's kind of this thing where we start recording and, you know, most of the time, I know you're a pretty big deal, but I don't know if you're like global celebrity status. Um, just could you introduce to the audience, um, Alex Tung and just tell them a little bit about yourself. So I'm a 28 years old. I'm a programmer for the Florida Department of Agriculture. Um, I do not represent their views and they don't represent mine. Um, <laughs> Good catch. Uh, but, uh, I'm also a seminary student. Um, I play in our church's worship band. I've been in several mediocre bands throughout the years. Um, I play open mic nights occasionally. I've recorded some songs, none of which are good. Um, I like to write poetry. I like to write a lot. Um, I don't, I share my writing like a medium amount. Uh, it's not good enough yet. It's better than most people. That sounds okay. really arrogant, but it's no, not. It's, it's, I mean, no, that's fair. It's like I'm 6'4", I'm taller than most people, I can say that. Yeah. Um, uh, what else is there? Oh, I'm, uh, so I, I mentioned that I'm in seminary. Um, I've been a Christian since I was 19. And there's there's probably more, there's probably less. I don't know. Yeah, sure. So you definitely, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, your, your full-time job is uh, as a programmer, but you've got kind of things going on 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 the side um so you mentioned the you know you i know you from creekside uh it's a church here in gainesville um and you know you mentioned that you've been playing with uh, the worship band for you know almost forever i feel like you know like they kind of have you know people who come in like every third week to play but then i feel like you're almost always there which i love mm -hmm. um can you kind of walk me through that like journey? How did you get into playing music? How did you get into playing, I guess, worship music specifically? Um, how has that journey kind of been? So when I was in third or fourth grade, uh, our school had like a strings program, meaning we had like orchestra light. Um, everyone learned how to play the violin that was in the program. Um, on these just ratty cardboard violins. I was the cool kid because my mom had a cheap beginner's violin that was a full-fledged violin, not made out of cardboard. Um, I was a mediocre violinist, but I had very pretty vibrato. Um, and it taught me how to read music. It taught me kind of just how to play. And around like middle school, I expressed a lot of interest in the guitar, so my dad got me a guitar. Um, and my stepdad said we'll give you lessons if you learn these chords and these scales. So immediately I set about learning them and I had lessons for several years. Uh, I got drawn to like the blues and uh, some other stuff like jazz a little bit, just playing wise. 
so throughout college, I didn't really play that much. I mean, I had my guitar at home and played that all the time, much to the dismay of my roommates. <laughs> um, throughout that throughout that point, I kind of like learned how to sing. I'm not a great singer, but at this point, I I'm fine enough. Uh, and so when I graduated college um, and got a job, I had this thing called money and I could buy things with it. Um, money's not great, but it's good for one thing. Uh, and I bought actually my roommate's old guitar and it's a very nice guitar. I, I got a really good deal on it. And so when I had, I started amassing like a decent like musical setup, that's when I started expressing interest in playing for Creekside. Uh, so I was about 23 when I started playing a little bit at Creekside, so about five years ago. And I was initially I was just partnered with one worship leader, so I played just a little bit here and there. It was good because I was in a very bad season of my life. I was making a lot of poor choices. And eventually just something clicked, and I started playing with more and more people and started just like building, really building up like the my pedal board. Yeah. Um, and learning different styles, learning how to play in worship styles. Um, worship, worship guitar, like a modern evangelical worship guitar is basically you take the edge from you two and just make it easier. <laughs> and uh, so kind of just learning some of that. Um, what I've learned is that so music just moves me, like not just emotionally, but like literally physically, I yeah. just have to move around. Um, and it's been like kind of interesting slowly uh, unveiling that to the congregation. Like the way I play in shows is still much more rambunctious and ridiculous yeah. than at Creekside. But it's been like this interesting thing learning like one, like how much power music has over me, but also how much power my movement has over the congregation. Yeah. Like I've noticed that if I get into it, the congregation's going to yeah. get into it's it. It's like Alex is going for it. Yeah. And it's it's like a really disturbing thing to re re realize. Um, sometimes it's not me. It, it's like I get the entire band going or I'm really playing off of the, one of the drummers really well yeah. and we, we get each other going. But it's like to have that much power over the congregation is like, I think I should maybe take a break from this. <laughs> yeah. You have this style that's expressive kind of in the moment. Um, why do you... Why are you drawn to that style of music instead of the, you know this approach to music that's kind of more calculated and in this more controlled environment? What is it about music for you, at least, that kind of draws you to explore and kind of you know play in the moment more? I think I've just always been drawn to improvisation. Uh, my favorite stand-up comedian would probably be, well, right now it's another guy named Cal Canaan, but like the guy who impacted me the most was Robin Williams. Sure. And when you watch him, his style is so improvisational. The thing is, though, it's not that he's just making it up on the fly. Like, it's come out that he's stolen a lot of things and that he's done, uh, and that a lot of the things were, like, canned. But he's still bringing them together in the moment and drawing drawing connections together in the moment. Like, like my style of just, like, going about life is not like, all right, I just... I kind of just, there, I think there might be this impression of me slapdash going through life like just whatever comes I do 
um, whatever pops into my head, first thought, best thought. Um, and that's not actually true. What it is is I do a lot of work behind the scenes. Like yeah. the amount of time I've played in my room, like my guitar is like hours and hours, especially in, in high school, just all the time. Just like sometimes just noodling around trying to see yeah. how notes just tie together. Like what what's an interesting thing I can do? But like, I build that whole language. Same thing. Yeah. Like I read a lot. I watch a lot of just media. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I do all this so that in the moment I draw from all this work that I've done before. So when I play at Creekside, sometimes I do really dumb things. Like uh, uh, when I find out that a melody can work with a chord progression that we have, uh, I'll just use like a well-known melody like uh i've played the piano line from closing time multiple <laughs> times at creekside um i've done a lot i've quoted purple rain like the prince song way too much um it's probably offensive the way i do it but whatever yeah um but yeah so imp improvisation is i what i what i like about it is that it's drawing connections in the moment and that's kind of just what I tend to do in general. I love drawing connections. I can't always do that just on command. Like, well, I do it on command. I can't always do that, like, quietly by myself. Mm -hmm. I can't always structure something behind the scenes by myself. Yeah. I can't always remember. Like, I don't remember. I can't memorize things very well. Sure. But I do remember things well, if that makes yeah. sense. Well, no, what was interesting, and it's, uh, you know, that you brought up this kind of idea that, sure, you know, you are improving in a sense, but that doesn't come out of just, you know, it's like, okay, I'm just going to pick up my guitar and play music. Like, you've built that skill, you know, over the years. And it's it's something because I find it interesting because something like improv, whether it's a music or kind of comedy, people often think, you know, oh, this is easy because it looks so effortless. But, I mean, the truth is, you know, it takes a lot of practice to be able to portray that on stage and to be able to, you know, be able to just jump around and kind of function in the moment and be on the fly. I mean, do you do you kind of find that, you know, almost playing, you know, so much, like you said, has helped you become a better musician, but do you almost find that when you play in bands um, as opposed to kind of a solo setting, that you have kind of more of an advantage or does it not really make a difference, you know, whether you're in a band or not when it comes to kind of improving on stage? Um, so it does make a difference, but it's not a quantitative difference. It's a qualitative difference. So like the way I'll improv, improv improvise by myself is vastly different than how I'll improvise in a band. Because so when you're improvising in like a band, you're talking essentially with each other you're responding from each other. I mean, from, you're responding to each other. Yeah. But when you're by yourself, it's a different thing. It's much more of a self-expression or you're responding to the previous thing that you did. Mm -hmm. So it might still be response, but it's, you're responding to a different thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, like I, I, for the longest time, I used to always open up my sets with uh, just, I, I think I call it prayer. Um, like the song, it is a prayer. It's literally just, I, I have a structure that I've kind of figured out that I like, and then I just make up words and melodies over it. Yeah, for sure. I want to talk a little bit about um, your kind of love for movies. Like uh, since I've since I've known you from going to Creekside, I, I want to say like almost half of my conversations with you, movies have come up, and that's not a bad thing. That for mm -hmm. me is a positive. 
Um, I wish I could see more movies. I should probably make an effort to see them more. But just kind of talking to you about movies and, you know, hearing kind of your, your, the way you, you know, express, you know, things and media you've seen. Um, and even, you know, you'll write about it um, online some. Where do you think that kind of love of movies and kind of, you know, talking and writing and expressing yourself, where do you think that comes from? And why is it important for you to express, um, you know, how you feel or how you interpreted something after you've seen it? Hmm. So in a way, like, so there's two questions there. There is how'd you love movies? How'd you love to talk about movies? That's true. Okay. Um, so let's go with how'd you love movies first? Yeah. And so the first one is ever since I, like my dad loves movies. Like when he and my, uh, his third spouse, um, <laughs> when, uh, they, when they were like, their relationship was starting, they would have like themed movie weekends like where they'd be like you know what we're just gonna get real into sylvester stallone and just buy a bunch of his movies on vhs and just like plow through them um i remember when i was three like watching batman returns and just like loving it also like they call batman an sob in it and uh i was like batman's cool so uh an sob must be a good thing so i called my mom an sob oh no but uh, uh, learn very quickly that you're not supposed to do that with movies. Um, Batman is cool kids, but yeah. you know, he's not to be, not to be copied, just to be admired. But actually what is funny, I've been thinking about this, like, like there are certain movies that like, I just eat it up. And I think like, ba like stuff like those early, those Tim Burton movies play a huge role in like my sort of aesthetic, aesthetic preference. Uh, but the groundwork is laid there. I saw The Godfather when I was four. Um, I saw my favorite Christmas movie growing up was Die Hard. Okay, well, um, I just want to go off on a little bit of a tangent. You said Christmas movie. Why is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Because I said so. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, some of that is like, what does it mean for something to be a Christmas movie? and Or what does it mean for anything to be an X yeah. movie? And that I... I, I I got into a conversation with this guy. I I actually agree. I think Die Hard is a Christmas movie, but he was so like staunchly against it. I'm like, why does it matter? It's like, you know, why does it was I don't know. It was just funny because it was he was so offended. He was like, no, Christmas movies are in this specific set of boundaries, and you can't have Die Hard. I'm like, okay, okay, that's yeah. so weird. Um, but sorry, continue. Oh, so, uh, like my family has always just watched movies and several ones like over and over like i've seen the christmas i mean christmas i've seen the princess bride 40 or 50 times oh, yeah. i've seen dodgeball dozens of times i've seen mystery men dozens of times uh I've, some like rise and fall like we used to watch the matrix all the time it was my three-year-old sister's favorite movie um but what happened actually was that movies and this is one of the things that i just love about them they create a shared experience like my, I can quote a movie, my mom will understand the reference and then she can either quote back or it, like it's a meaningful signifier of something. Um, like <laughs> if, if someone trips and falls and then I do the Ivan Drago voice from Rocco, Rocco, Rocky Four, if he dies, he dies. Like there's an understanding yeah. between. Yeah. The, and like that shared language, that shared cultural language has been like so powerful for me yeah. like my whole life. 
But like the movement from like I like watching movies to yeah. I like engaging movies like came much later. So in late high school, um, I got I was like I'm a smart person. I need to be into pretentious things um, or artsy things. So I watched a lot of more like Criterion Collection sure. style stuff. Like I got into Ingmar Bergman and um, Godard. And uh, I can never pronounce his name right. Um, but, like, I still didn't engage them properly. Yeah. Um, when I say properly, I don't mean there's a right or wrong way to, sure. to engage film. But, like, that there wasn't a real engagement so much as still an enjoyment. Um, it wasn't really until uh, probably junior, senior year of college, um, I started re-watch, I started watching movies again. Um, I mean, I was watching movies the whole time, but, like, thinking about them yeah like uh, i remember seeing terrence malick's the tree of life and being like so what is what is malick trying to say mm-hmm. what what is what matters to him and like i all the stuff that you learn in high school english class just came like roaring back where it's like oh oh i have been given the tools to like understand what's going on what does this mean what does this symbol mean and the more you watch film the more you start to recognize certain um, techniques therein, or you can just read about them and start learning like, oh, wow, editing is not just like paring something down, yeah. but creating connections and yeah. messing with time that like the camera is the eye and it can do so much. And uh, what I look for more nowadays is is less plot. I don't even care about plot that much anymore in film. I care about thought. Yeah. I care about what is being communicated, thought and feeling, mm-hmm. like what feelings are being communicated, what thoughts are being communicated, how are they communicating them? Um, like, feel like that's one of the reasons why I think David Lynch is such a powerful um, filmmaker, is because he deals almost entirely in feeling. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, I've, after kind of taking some multimedia classes and learning a little, you know, more about video production, less on the, you know, like film theory side, but we've touched on that some. And what I've kind of noticed is that like analyzing film for me, like I'll start watching uh, a movie and I just can't not notice things. And I, I almost think it's bad because in a sense, the mm. filmmaker is trying to create a story and they want everything else just kind of seamlessly for the most part, just point towards the story um, and it, it's kind of bad because I just kind of like analyze things and like, okay, how does this, you know, shot kind of connect to what's going on with the story? How is, you know, the way this is being shot or the way, you know, the director's using diegetic, non-diegetic sound, you know, what does it say about the film? And for me, I, it's, you know, it's almost like a joyride. Like I love it because I'm almost able to kind of, you know, play an experiment where I kind of test my brain and see, okay. Am I actually, you know, just watching this film because I'm just kind of bored and I need something kind of on? Or am I watching it because I want to learn how to be a better filmmaker? And that that kind of mindset that I've approached is, okay, if I want to make movies, what Mm. what do I need to do? And it's this kind of thing where you think about how personal a movie is. You know, so many people are so invested, you know, in movies and that's that's the thing that i've learned you know just working on short films for school projects it's like you think so much about every detail and you know when you watch a movie you don't necessarily like think about that you don't think about okay the filmmaker who thought this out you know the writer who 
you know, crafted the dialogue. But it's so interesting just being able to kind of delve in and trying almost to get inside the mind of the person who made it and say, mm-hmm. okay, where are they coming from, you know? That's actually, so there was a time where I wanted to be a filmmaker and then I realized that that's just hard. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then like uh, that building that like, oh, so how did they make this? Now it shifted for me. So who are they? Yeah. And not just who are they, but what are they trying to say? So like, um, do you know who Agnes Varda was? She just passed away. She she was 90 years old. She was part of the French uh, New Wave. Um, she actually kind of predates it a little, and she's probably the best of them. There's Truffaut and Jacques Demy and uh, Godard are all in that yeah. group, but she towers above them. Um, and she, what she taught me about filmmaking, not like literally, not personally, but that because like the camera is like an eye, and you can either either like point the eye almost at yourself, like Godard almost always does. Like a lot of, a lot of filmmakers, a lot of male filmmakers especially, there's this weird over love of navel gazing and like this is what I'm trying to say about what I think life is. Yeah. And Varda's like, okay, I can do that, but I can also look at someone else. I can say, who are they? And I can, she actually has this beautiful propensity to look at people who aren't looked at very much. Yeah. Um, she One of her early documentaries is about Cuba, and it's this beautiful celebration of the people of Cuba. There's, um, she has this terribly sad movie called Vagabond that's just about a woman vagabond. And like the, she's not a great person, but it, she also doesn't deserve the fate that she lands. Um, her final one of her final films is this is called Faces Places and it's she's literally taking the faces of people who like like dock workers and just people who don't get enough love and respect and blowing up their faces and putting putting them on the sides of buildings saying like these people matter that like it's a it's a common theme within women filmmakers where they um, and one of the reasons why I think like there needs to be more voice given to women filmmakers and uh non just non-white men filmmakers in general uh is because there's a lot like not as much navel gazing and more like okay what what is the world who are people yeah and i i don't watch films anymore to learn how to make a film i watch films now to learn how to be a better person yeah that's why I watch movies is seeing just how people can be the different possibilities of humanity and embracing and loving those. Yeah. I kind of want to talk um, a little bit moving away just kind of from, you know, actual, you know, film criticism itself, but more the culture of film criticism Mm -hmm. in its, in its state, you know, you have a lot of film criticism is dependent on, you know, online websites, Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, these sorts of things, um, personal bloggers, but, what do you think is good about the culture of movie criticism today? And then also a follow-up, what do you think is bad about it? Um, what's good about it is that we're decentralizing um, the main voices more and more. Um, like, yes, you can go on uh, Rotten Tomatoes and you'll always see top critics or whatever. Or, you know... Like what I've ended up doing gradually over time is I pay attention to certain blogs on Letterboxd and whatnot. Um, and I started seeing, like, oh, who are voices that I find interesting? And I can just pay attention to those. 
Um, but the nice thing is because of the internet, like you can, if you want, you can easily just find your own little space and you're good there. Uh, but the internet is always encroaching. There's always something encroaching so in, in like a good way or a bad way. There's always voices saying like, Hey, listen to me. Hey, listen to me. Yeah. And, uh, What's cool about film discourse is that someone will be like, all right, this is great or this is bad. And then someone can come back in and go, well, actually, and it makes you think yeah. and reconsider. Um, historically, most voices have been just like, um, with like the exception of, uh, I think, Pauline Kale, like just a bunch of white dudes. Um, and now there's it's just all over the place. Um, the bad thing is there's no more Roger Ebert. <laughs> he, uh, honestly, it's such a dumb, like, trope, but, like, most people, they just love him. Yeah. Because the way he, lo the way he loves film and loves the pot, like, what film can do, how it can transform, but also that he just enjoys so much of it. Like, have you ever just looked at his great movies list? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's have, so yeah. broad, and he, 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 uh. What, what I love about him is that he'll enjoy a Bergman right next to a popcorn flick and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, that he, and then like, although oh, when you provoke his wrath, it is the funniest darn thing in the world. Um, one cool thing about film discourse is that there's multiple discourses, but that like, I've noticed that the actual critics are often really thoughtful in how they like think about film and our current culture, our current context, that there's a huge progressive undercurrent to a lot of it. Um, we're kind of running out of time in the studio, but I want to hit you with some rapid fire questions. Mm -hmm. So you ready for the rapid fire round? Um, Let's do it. What's a movie you love that you think not enough people have seen and they should see? Oh God, that one's hard. Uh, Cause there's a lot. Um, I'll do my favorite filmmaker is Edward Yang. Um, he actually went to UF. Uh, oh, he's, cool. he's from Taiwan, but he, he did his, he did his graduate degree, um, in electrical engineering. Uh, his film Yi Yi, which means a one and a two, um, is a beautiful like movie that's like three hours long. It's kind of a coming of age tale and a, family tale and a reckoning with a, just a lot what i love what are what i want people to take from yang is that he his camera just loves people so much like he views the world in a way that i think god views the world like he's obviously yang is not god and he is a broken terrible person in his own way i mean as we all are but the way his camera and the way he just portrays people as broken but lovely as they are is just so wonderful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, uh, what movie do you think is just too overrated, whether it's a franchise or just something that people just talk about and just like, oh, it's such a great movie, but it's just, it's just not that good in your opinion? This is going to get me into trouble. But um, So I will say this. I still really like it and have watched it three or four times. But the Spider-Man into the 
Spider-Verse. Yeah. I think it deserves its acclaim. Yeah. It just did not move me as much as for other people. But I realized yeah. what it is, is it's just so perfectly done. But, like, for some yeah. reason, it's just not, like, touching me the same way. Yeah. It's so... So it's like it's not even like it's overrated. It's more just like, man, I wish that like the euphoria that y'all got, I had. Yeah. But I understand that it's worthy of the euphoria that people have. Man, those those Spider Verse fans—they're gonna come after you. You better worry about that. <laughs> What's your guilty pleasure of movies? Just a movie that's so dumb and you know it's dumb, but you love it. I don't believe in guilty pleasures. Okay. I think all movie, like all genres and all ways have, have a potential. Now, if someone was like, okay, so then what would be a guilty pleasure for other people, but you're just going to be upset sure, about that's it anyway? Fair. That's freaking fair. love rom-coms. Okay. Um, I think 10 Things I Hate About You is a masterpiece. Yeah. My personal favorite is um, Trolls 2. I think I think I watched that in my, my freshman year at, with Jack Gregg and some of the other high school guys. Oh, it's beautiful. The art. Neil Buck is Goblin, spelled backwards. Um, iconic, iconic. Martin Scorsese, who? Okay, um, what one piece of advice would you have for someone who's trying to, you know, get into music um, and, you know, who, who they kind of want to take it more seriously? What, what one thing would you tell them? Listen. Like, listen to a bunch. Just, like, listen to music, listen to people's stories. Like, uh... Keeping an open heart and an open ear, I think, is the best way to, like, really grow. Yeah. Um, and be willing to... I just listened to a podcast um, with Richard Rohr, and he he has this really great thing where the, the biggest way that we are transformed, like, in his mind, like, growing closer to God, um, is through great love and great suffering. And sometimes a lot of us don't quite... Ha- like experience a lot of that so yeah. like listening to others great love and great suffering is yeah. super important um what one piece of advice kind of following up that music question what one piece of advice would you have for someone who's trying to get into you know film discourse who wants to you know be able to more critically think about film and more critically express themselves uh, what what advice do you have to those people um watch as much as you can uh watch the sight and sound top 250 um, list, like just hitting the top, actually the top 100 films on there will give you a huge breadth. Um, watch carefully. Yeah. And watch things that you be, get prepared to be bored and learn to enjoy boredom. Yeah. Um, all right, Alex, I have really enjoyed having you on the show. Um, and it's been super fun talking to you uh, and kind of listening to your story and kind of how you see the world. I think it's super interesting. Um, and I just really want to thank you for coming out to the show. It was fun. Thanks. All right. Have Goodbye. fun in the castle. If you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Want to find out more? Check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash feedback with Lou Comfort and join our community today. Have some ideas or questions for the show? Email us at feedbackwithlukehumphlet at gmail.com. And if you've done all that, feel free to share the show with a friend. Thanks for your support. See you next time.